Welcome to Into the Verse, the Parsha podcast where we dive deep into the verses to share new and unexpected insights, illuminating the Parsha like you've never seen before. Welcome to Into the Verse. This is Ari Levison here today with Rabbi David Foreman. Hey, Ari, nice to see you. So, Rabbi Foreman, I noticed some really cool stuff on Parsha Mikates. Um, I wanted to talk to you about it. Honestly, I don't know where this is going to go, but the noticings are really cool, and I think together we can make something really interesting of it. I think it's really cool how we've coined a new word. I don't think noticings <laughs> works as a noun in regular English, but for us, it's all part of a day's work. I've had to beat Google Docs into submission to accept noticing <laughs> somewhere like as that. As a noun. Okay, so um, what is your noticing? It starts in um, Perak Membet in Parshamika. It's to set the scene, there's a great and terrible famine throughout the entire Middle East. And of course, we know in Egypt, Joseph has been storing up food. He's the viceroy there. He has this whole grand genius plan to save up food from the times that are good because he knows the famine is coming. And so everyone comes to Egypt to get food. So back in Canaan, Yaakov and his children are, are starting to get hungry as the famine worsens. And Yaakov turns to his children and says, Behold, I have heard that there is food, there's sustenance in Egypt. So that language of Hine Shamati uh, really sparked something for me. Because that language sounded familiar of a previous time, actually a previous time in Yaakov's life, where someone said, Hine Shamati, behold, I have heard. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? I do. The other Hine Shamati in Genesis, to my knowledge, is another story involving Yaakov, but this time, instead of Yaakov telling his children Hine Shamati, Yaakov was told Hine Shamati by his mother. And that's the moment when Rivka, his mother, tells him, you know, I overheard your father saying that he wants to give a bracha to Esav. Here's what I think you should do. Um, Ari, let me just ask you a question. Without looking at any other connections you may have, did you bother checking how many times that phrase Hine Shamati appears in the five books of Moses? I did. And, Reverend Foreman, can you guess how many other times it appears in the five books of Moses? Uh, these are the only two times. These are the only two times. That's definitely intriguing. It's enough to raise an eyebrow. Could the Hine Shamatis in each case have something to do with each other? Okay, Ari, so what else did you find here which makes you think that these things have anything to do with each other? Yeah, so here's, here's another thing which really felt remarkably familiar. Go ahead. In uh, Genesis 27, verse 45... So now we're back on the story of Yaakov and Esav and that stolen bracha. So Genesis 27, 45. So this is way at the whole end of the story. Right. So this is after Jacob steals the blessing and he's got to run mad, away. He wants to kill him, wants to run away. Um, Rebecca tells Jacob to run away. Um, and she, the reason she gives is, Lama eshkol gam shnecham yom achad. Why should I lose both of you the same day? That This word eshkol means to lose your children. So why should I lose both of my children in one day? The way most of the commentators understand this is that if Esav ends up killing Yaakov, well, Esav is also as good as dead. She'll like lose them both in the same day. Because Esav will have committed such a terrible crime that there's no coming back for that in a moral sense. Exactly. And so that reminds me of someone else who was facing this threat of losing two sons. Okay, so in other words, you're saying here is Rivka, a parent expressing a fear to Yaakov, about losing her two sons on a single day. And you notice that in that same story of Yosef that involves the, the food 
that is so desperately needed when there's this issue, when Yosef insists on keeping Shimon prisoner and Yaakov is trying to figure out whether he's really going to ever send anybody to go try to pick out Shimon. He's worried that uh, the demand to bring Binyamin is going to cause him to lose Binyamin. Yaakov says these words, Vayomar Aleim Yaakov, Yaakov Aviyam, Otishi Kaltem, right? And that's that same unusual word, you have made me childless. Same word that Rivka uses. Look at my situation. Yosef Eneinu, I've already lost Yosef. The Shimon Eneinu, I've already lost Shimon, and now you want to possibly take Binyamin, right? That's a terrible thing. I, I can't stand that. And here, what indeed is Yaakov talking about? He's talking about the loss of two children that he's experienced, just like Rivka has talked about the loss of two children together with that word shakal. So here you have both of these stories. In a way, you could argue that in each story, something has gone badly. There's been some sort of twist. In the story of the brachos, Yaakov has stolen uh, Esau's bracha. Esau's mad about it. That's her twist, leading to this fear that Rivka says, oh my gosh, I could be childless, I could lose two children you know, at the same time. And similarly, in the story involving Yosef, Yaakov had originally wanted his children to go down to Egypt and get some food, but it wasn't so simple. There was a twist. In this case, the twist is that Shimon ends up getting imprisoned, and all of a sudden there's this fear. What if I lose two children, not just Yosef, but Shimon, and how am I supposed to deal with that? Okay, so that's interesting, Ari. Anything else you found? A lot more that I found. Here's another thing. In the first story, in Toldot, Yaakov came to Yitzchak disguised. He's dressed up as Esav, he's wearing this goatskin, and in 27, verse 23, Velohi Kiro, Yitzchak didn't recognize him. So, okay, I'm thinking, where else you have someone not recognizing someone else? That exact same language in our Parsha and Miketz, when the brothers come to Yosef for food. Yosef, you know, the, the viceroy in charge of all the food, and instead it's them uh, not recognizing him. Um, and the language in 42.8, it's Vehem Lohi Kiruhu, and they didn't recognize him. Yep, so you've got that exact same language, basically, of Lohi Kiro Yitzchak is unable to recognize the disguised Yaakov. And now the same happens with the brothers, uh, Yaakov's children. The brothers are unable to recognize, in a way, the disguised Yosef. And by the way, in case you're keeping score, you've now found three connections between these stories. I just want to point out that not only are these three connections between the stories, but they proceed in order, which is also something that just sort of adds to the sense that maybe I'm not looking at something coincidental here. Maybe these stories are proceeding in a way along the same lines. I'll just say that I'm almost sold, but not quite. I'm just curious if you have anything else that makes you think that these two stories are connected other than the three connections that you found thus far. <laughs> how about how about I give you two more connections? Does that sound good? Go ahead. Okay, so let's look at chapter 43, uh, verse 2 in Miketz. The brothers come back unsuccessfully the first time. In fact, Shimon was taken prisoner, and they make an appeal to Yaakov to go and bring Benjamin back so that they can bring Shimon back and bring the rest of the food back. Um, it's unsuccessful. The famine worsens, and then... In the beginning of chapter 43, it says, V'harav kaved ma'od, and the famine was really heavy. V'yihi kasher kilu le'echol at ha'shever asher havi'u mi mitzrayim. And behold, it was when they finished eating all of the 
food that they brought back from Egypt, because they brought back a little bit that first time. So the father says to them, go bring, bring some more food. We've run out of all the stuff you've brought back. Um, but that language, um, reminds me of when something was finished in the previous story, in the buzzing story. In 27 verse 30, right after Yaakov leaves from getting his blessing from Yitzchak, and Esav comes in. Verse 30 starts off, And when Yitzchak finished blessing Yaakov. So there you have, When they finished eating, When Yitzchak finished blessing Yaakov, with the same language, and behold, it was finished. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty striking. And the Joseph story mirrors and it happened that after Yitzchak finished blessing Yaakov, I haven't done a search here as to how many or there are in Chumash, but I'd be willing to bet my dollars to donuts, as they say, that these are probably the only two mm-hmm. in um, in the five books of Moses. So this is another striking connection between the stories. I will just say that this breaks the, uh, the the pattern a little bit. It's not exactly in order because in the story of Joseph happens at the very end. Well, I'll save your, your order for now because there is a second time that the word shakal comes up. In the second story, Yaakov does say it the first time, but he repeats it in verse 14. Oh, very uh, good. Yeah, and Vani Kacher Shakolti Shakolti actually is kind of interesting because it sounds a lot like Lama Eshkal Gam Shnechem. If I lose, Binyamin, in addition to losing my two sons, uh, Shimon and Yosef, then let that be. Okay, so let's use that one. That brings us to four connections in order. So, Ari, I'm pretty convinced. It seems to me that there's a. Uh, a connection between these, but just because you said you mentioned two, let's <laughs> yeah. hear your. So let's, your let's give one more, and it's another another phrase that only comes up two times in the entire Tanakh, and that's the phrase zep amayim, which means these two times. Yep, I remember that phrase in the Yosef story. This is Yehuda telling uh, his father that look, why you're dilly dallying around until we starve? If you had only agreed to send Binyamin. Right, we kiata We could have been back and forth to Egypt twice already, and we could have had the food that you're looking for. And let's look at the zepamayim in the Jacob steals the blessing story. This is at the sort of the tail end of the story. So Esav is is shocked. He comes back. He wants the blessing. Uh, his father Yitzchak says, "I already gave it away." And he says, your brother came in deception and took your blessing. And Esav screams out and says, Yaakov. That's why they call his name Yaakov. He's tricked me these two times. So Esav saying, Yaakov has tricked me these two times, seems to be similar to Yehuda saying, we could have been back these two times, saying that to Yaakov. So I've got no less than one, two, three, 
four, five connections, which are all pretty strong, but not only are they pretty strong, they're in exactly the same order in both stories. All right, Rabbi Foreman, you ready to bet your house on this? I'm ready to bet my house on this. So that's the kind of thing I'd bet my house on, guys. You understand? Hine Shamati is interesting, even if it's the only two Hine right. Shamatis. Could be coincidental, but this kind of stuff can't be coincidental. This indicates that the writer wants you to see these events together. And now the question turns to why. What in the world does the story of the purloined blessing, when Yaakov steals Esav's blessing from Yitzchak, what does that have to do with the story of the children of Israel going down to get food in Egypt, right? It seems like those are different things. There doesn't seem to be any blessing in the story of Yosef uh, with the food. But somehow, these two stories are meant to map up upon each other. So the question is, what does this mean? Or even better, the question is, how would we go about figuring out what it means? And so, Ari, I'm all ears. Do you have any theories? And if so, how did you sort of get to your theory? Yeah, so whenever, whenever you see all these parallels, the first thing that you, you have to ask yourself is, what is matching up to what here? The cast of characters, who are the characters, and sometimes even the inanimate objects here. So, Ari, let's, let's look at our cast of characters in the, in the Mikate story. Yeah, so one I think is pretty straightforward is the dispatcher. The one who hears of this existence of a thing turns to their children and says, I want you to go get this thing. Okay, so that is Rivka in the case of the blessing. Rivka is the one who says, Hey, Hine Shamati, I overheard father telling Esav, could you go bring me food before I die? So over here, Rivka in the blessing story is going to pair up with Yaakov, in the Joseph story, because Yaakov is the one who says, I heard rumors that there is food in Mitzrayim. There's something coveted. And if I can just jump in, Ari, I'm going to add to cast of characters because my brain is saying, right. okay, so if Rivka is dispatching Yaakov to go get something coveted, and the something coveted is the blessing, right? That seems to match up with Yaakov overhearing that there is something coveted that he wants, mm -hmm. right? And he is telling people to go get it. But what's most intriguing is what is the thing that's coveted that in each case the person being dispatched is meant to get? Well, in the case of the blessing, the thing that's coveted is a blessing, right? Well, actually, no, it's not so clear. I heard your father say, bring me food so that I could bless you before God. And here it's, I heard that there is food in Mitzrayim. Go bring me some. What my brain is saying is, okay, so in both, both stories are about food, about bring me food. Yitzchak wants food before he offers yeah. a blessing. And, uh, and in the Joseph story, Yaakov wants food so everyone can live and not die. But what flummoxes me a little bit is that in the Jacob blessing story, the food isn't the real thing. The food is just a way of getting something. Right. I right? think the food in the first blessing story might be a red herring because that's really not the, the central part of the story. It's a vehicle towards the blessing. But I'm going to push back because okay. Hine Shamati, I overheard what? I overheard Father say, bring me food, bring me the prerequisite 
so that I can bless you. And here in the Joseph story, it's bring me food, but there is no prerequisite. It's bring me food so that we should live and not die. I I don't know, to my end, what's striking here is the absence of a blessing. In other words, in in one story, it's bring me food, but the food isn't the main thing, right? right? It's not because he's starving. It's not because he's going to die. Intriguingly, he talks about dying, Right. right? But for him, the imperative isn't that I need the food so that I won't die. I need the food to spur me to give a blessing, and the blessing has to happen before Before I die. But what's remarkable is the lack of a blessing in the other story. It's a much less complicated case. It's like, okay, guys, we can't be thinking about blessings. We've got a much more significant issue, which is we literally have no food. And it's almost as if, in my mind, the difference between the two stories is that in the Joseph story, there's a famine. And if there is a famine, then there is no luxury to be worried about things like getting luxury food to be able to power a blessing. You literally need food right. to live. And when you're thinking about food to live, you can't be thinking about blessings anymore. Right. But but let me ask you this though, if you're trying to trying to match these things up. So in the in the blessing story, basically there's two rounds of going to receive blessing. Yaakov mm-hmm. goes to receive blessing and Asaph comes afterwards looking to receive blessing. True. When Yaakov is finished getting that blessing, it uses the language of Kila, and behold, when it when Yitzchak finished blessing Yaakov. Now, in the second story with Joseph and his brothers, there's also two rounds of going to get food. Yes. They go the first time, they come back with a small amount, and then Yaakov sends them to go get some more. And in between, that first food they brought back gets finished up with the language of Kilu Lechal. And so there it seems to be that thing that gets finished up is the blessing itself. I hear you. That's very clever. But I'm going to push back and just say that just only highlights the distinction between the two stories. Because in the blessing story, what gets finished up is not food, is the blessing. So what the the blessing story is about is a blessing and the food is just ancillary. But in the second story, you also have two rounds to try to get something. But the something that you're getting is not blessing. In each case, it's just food. And what gets finished up is not a blessing that gets finished up. It's not that you finish giving a blessing. It's that you finished eating the food. There is the, the blessing is like this black box that's simply entirely missing from the Joseph story. That's okay, what so, it seems like to me. The blessing in one story, in the Jacob story, matches up with the food in the Joseph story, but at least to the untrained eye, it it looks like it's not there. Now, what I will say is this. What do you do when you have a situation like this, right? We have a situation where two stories match up, but they're not matching up, Right. right? So what you have is, I sometimes call these phantoms, right? What you have in the Joseph story is a phantom blessing, or the possibility of a phantom blessing. In other words, if I overlay the two stories in one another, it seems like I should be seeing a blessing in the Joseph story, but I don't. I see the food in the Joseph story, right? But I don't see a blessing. Let's just be clear. In the Jacob story, right, a parent goes and says, I overheard something, and I'm dispatching you to do two things, to get food, but the food isn't the really important part. The food is really just a hechatim, as we say in yeshivish. It's just a way that I can go and get something even more important than that, the blessing. Now, you would expect, if you overlay this on the Joseph story, that the same thing would happen in the Joseph story. 
But the problem is, at face value, I'm missing the blessing part of it. All I see is uh, that that there's a father, Jacob, the same one who received this blessing, right. right? But now he's not interested in blessings. He's just interested in food, right? So I have what's called a phantom blessing. In situations such as this, sometimes what the overlay teaches you is that you can't see the blessing, but it's really there. In other words, that none of the characters see that this is about blessing, uh, right? But in fact, you, the reader, who's intuiting the connections right. between them, need to see that there is a blessing that's not really there, <laughs> right? Well, yeah. So there's there's a hidden blessing. There's a phantom blessing here. Right. So now the question, what's the phantom, what's the blessing? phantom blessing? And okay. here, I think, is where you get to real gold in this story. Because maybe the whole point of these parallels is to show you that in the Joseph story, no one understands that this is really about blessing, right. but it really is. So over right. here, what you have is that everyone's so preoccupied with food that they aren't focused on the really important stuff because food isn't why we live. We just need it to live. But if I don't have it, it's the only thing I can think of, right? But really, I eat in order to do something greater. So in the Jacob story, there's the luxury of seeing food, because we're not in famine, as a path towards blessing. Yeah. It's like, hey, get me a nice steak. I need to be inspired to bless, right? What this may suggest is that really, in the Joseph case, what Jacob is really sending the brothers down to, the algebra would suggest, is actually to get a blessing the same way he got a blessing, and that's the most important thing they're getting. But they can't see that because they're so focused on the food. So all you see is food, 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 right? But the parallels show you that there's a phantom blessing. Right. So this, this is really cool because one of the things I was thinking about is, you know, okay, so you're asking, where is this blessing here? Well, let's look at the actual language of the blessing. And let's see if we see that blessing come up in this second round of the story. Sure. So in verse in chapter 27, verse 28, here is the blessing that Yitzchak gives to Yaakov. Yitain lecha ha'elokim, mital ha'shemayim yishbnei ha'aretz, rov dagam v'tirosh. God should give you from the dew of the heavens and the fat of the earth, right, much grain and produce. Ya'avdu ha'amim v'shtachavu lecha ha'amim. Um, nations should serve you and people should bow down to you. You should be mightier than your brother. And the children of your mother should bow down to you. Those who curse you should be cursed and those who bless you should be blessed. And just to, to keep going, later on when Yitzchak tells Esav what he blessed Yaakov with in verse 37, he says, I have made Yaakov, your brother, uh, mightier than you. And I've given all his brothers to him as slaves. And I have placed grain and produce in his hand. So here we have this, this image of everyone bowing down to him. His brothers bowing down to him. Grain and produce being at the palm of his hand what does this sound like? Yeah, well, it is pretty spooky. My mind is going to a lot of different places at once, <laughs> so I'll try to slow this down. So it's not just the content of the blessings, but the other thing that's interesting is that you mentioned that there's two rounds of blessing in each story. Now, what you didn't say is that the two rounds of blessing go to different people in each story. In other words, in the Jacob story, the first round of blessing goes to Jacob. Then once that's given to Jacob, strangely enough, right, it's like you got to turn around and it's like, oh my gosh, 
there's this other blessing that I need to give to Asaph, but I have nothing left to give him because I already gave the zero-sum blessing, right? And so therefore right. I say, what can I possibly give you? I already made everybody your slaves. Now, I wonder if something similar is going on here, which is, all right, what's the essence of the blessing? The essence of the blessing is a blessing that you should have food, but people bow to you. If I would say, well, did anybody get that blessing in the Joseph story? The answer would be, yeah, but it's not the person that Jacob is talking to now. It's actually Joseph. Right. Joseph is the one who has that blessing. Joseph is in charge of all this food. There are nations bowing down to Joseph now. They're so desperate to give him food. That seems to be come for Joseph. And there's brothers bowing down, almost as if to say, in a sly, cynical kind of way, that now if we read Hine Shamati, right, I, we can actually figure out what the phantom blessing is, and it's pretty spooky. What is the phantom blessing? Your brother... Who really who already has this blessing, right, has a blessing that's gonna force you to bow to him right. and become his slaves, which is prophetically what's about to happen. It's almost like he's dispatching yeah. him not to get food, but little does Yaakov realize he's really dispatching them to become servants to their brother and to bow to him because right. little does anyone know that their brother is the one who already has so this has blessing. blessing. And later on when Yehuda comes and says, yeah. Dad. You know, and time for the second round of the blessing. We could have been back, you know, already twice. And then you hear, it's almost as if uh, that Yehuda is crying out. We play cast of characters there. That Yehuda mm-hmm. is the character crying out, like, I've been tricked twice, I've been tricked twice, right? It, in a way, Yehuda sort of has been tricked. Joseph didn't reveal himself the first time to Judah. And what's going to happen next time Judah comes and meets Joseph? Well, Joseph's going to pull another fast one. Not only is he not going to reveal himself, he's going to take Benjamin, right? And Judah's really up the creek without a battle twice, yeah. right? <laughs> and this time, who is Judah playing? Judah's playing Asaph. Judah's playing the character that there's just no blessing less, no blessings left for, and all you can do is submit to this notion at which, by the way, Judah will say this to, to Joseph when he says, oh, you know what, let's all be your slaves, Right. In order to get ben- Benjamin back, you know, he says, no, I'm just going to take him as my slave. The rest of you can go. And so th- it's almost as if Judah is playing Asaph in this story right. and Joseph is playing um, is playing Yaakov. And so, by the way, wait, the, why does no one realize that Joseph has already taken the blessing? He's living out the fulfillment of this blessing. Because they don't know Joseph is there. The Haim Lohi Kiru. That's right? right. They didn't recognize him. Ah, uh, interesting. Just so the like same Yaakov way, was right, in the same, disguise, no one recognized right, him. So the same way someone came and snuck the blessing, here too, someone came and snuck the blessing. So Joseph's <laughs> already got the blessing. Right. So it's almost like, like the blessing's already been gotten by another brother, and all you guys can do is go get the food. That's really Asaph. Asaph is the guy who go gets the food, but there's no blessing left to give him. Yeah. And that's sort of here Yaakov to Asaph, Yaakov to the brothers, Hine uh, Shamati. You'd expect this blessing, but the blessing's already gone. Right. So, Ari, let's bring this to a close with one final um, observation that I want to make, and then yeah. maybe we'll say goodbye for the day. The the And I know there's much more we could do here, right? Actually, I'm sure you've got a, a zillion more, <laughs> a zillion more yeah. parallels, but um, here's one thing which I want to suggest as a possibility. There is one key difference between these stories, mm. which may be a reason for hope. Because, let's face it, these stories end badly. 
right? The story with Asav ends with Asav being so upset that Asav wants to devote the rest of his life to killing his brother in rage and in anger for taking this blessing that was really meant for them. But would it be so crazy if the way this story ended is the same way the Asaph story ends? Imagine, here I am playing Yosef, right? And like, I finally reveal myself to you. After I like made your life hell, I didn't reveal myself the first time, and really I'm, I'm your brother, right? And then I literally framed Benjamin, and I thought I was going to kill you all, and you're terrified, right? And then imagine I reveal myself to you, and I say, guys, by the way, I just want to let you know, really I'm Joseph, this is a little practical joke this whole time. How do you feel realizing that really I'm Joseph? You could imagine a situation in which you are so enraged that I was Joseph and that I went and had all this food that should have been yours and went and took this blessing. You could imagine that the brothers might have been so angry about being deceived by Joseph that, you know, that now maybe they couldn't express that anger immediately because Joseph has all the power. But deep down in their hearts, they'd be so enraged that they want to take revenge upon him, and you don't see that in the brothers. The brothers are scared, maybe, but they don't seem to want to take revenge, and they eventually reconcile, more or less, with with Joseph. To me, the difference between these two stories is this, is that Joseph's immediate response when he reveals himself to his brothers is to immediately share the blessing. What his immediate response is, is like, guys, I've got this blessing. Not only do I have this blessing, I know I have it on loan from God, and I know the reason I have it on loan for God. You know why I have this blessing? It's not for me, it's for you. The real reason I have this blessing is, Joseph says, the second he reveals himself, he says, and now, don't be angry. And, you know, we normally understand that don't be angry amongst yourselves that you threw me in a pit. But part of it might be, don't be angry with me. Like, in general, don't let rage color your emotions here. Because let me tell you why this all happened. Right? You didn't send me over here to get this blessing. This is really God's doing that I ended up with this blessing. This wasn't just a choice that you or I made. So, A, this is God doing this, not us. And second of all, the reason why God gave me this blessing was for you. It says, Right? It's all so that I could make you live and that I can make you into a great nation. And that is a great moment of reconciliation and generosity for in terms of how Yosef sees himself. One might say, you know, how would it have been different if Yaakov himself had seen things that way with Esau, what if Yaakov, instead of running away from Esau, right, had sat down, had a little talk and said, look, you know, it, it looks like there was just a whole bunch of, like, I'm sorry for my part in this here, but neither of us can discount the hand of God, right? God gave me this blessing, but let me just tell you something. And Dad said, like, I should have this blessing. But whatever Dad's intent in giving me this blessing is, I'm telling you that I see this blessing coming from another source too, not just Dad, but God. The same way that Joseph says, I see this blessing coming from another source, coming from God. And not only do I see the blessing coming from God, I see a purpose in me getting that blessing. And the purpose of me getting that blessing is to be someone who takes care of you and everybody else in the world. 
my whole point is to take care of everybody else in the world, but the person who's most dear to me is you, and I think I'm here to take care of you. And therefore, Asav, I may have the blessing of all of this fruit and all this thing, but I'm there to share it generously with you, and the whole reason why I have this blessing is to be able to take care of you in the world. It would have been a different ending. You wouldn't have Asav pledging himself to destroy yeah. everybody, and maybe that's the moral of the story at some level, which is like, this is what Jacob could have done even after the fact. He didn't have to run away. Yeah. He could have said, here's this blessing to, to share. If I can just leave you with one other thought, if you look at the end of Yehezkel, the very last verses and, and, and chapters of Ezekiel, there is a vision of the Messianic era at the end mm-hmm. of days. And in that vision, Israel gets a blessing. And the blessing actually is this river that starts from underneath the Beit HaMikdash itself, underneath the temple itself, and flows in two directions, to the Mediterranean to the west and to the Dead Sea to the east, transforming the entire landscape and making it lush. And the text is very clear that the purpose of that blessing is not just for Israel, but that river then goes and transforms the entire Middle East, right? And and all the other nations are beneficiaries of that river. And the message is loud and clear. You may be the recipients of blessing, but that blessing is for the benefit of, as, as God said to Abraham, that through you, blessing will come to all of the nations of the earth. You begin to see that in Joseph. Joseph understanding that I have blessing, but it's as a caretaker to establish blessing for others and for my brother. And that seems to be this key towards destroying this terrible animosity. And at the end of days, in the Messianic era, there's this notion that Israel may be special, right? But if they see the meaning of their blessing as something as to be able to to caretake that blessing that comes from the heavens for the benefit of their of their brethren nations around them, it transforms their role in the Middle East. That's this week's episode. Just a reminder to use the link in the episode description to share the gift of Torah with your loved ones this Hanukkah. This episode was recorded by Ari Levison together with Rabbi David Foreman. This episode was produced by Evan Wiener. Audio editing was done by Shifa Jacobs with additional edits by Hilary Gutman. Our audio editor is Hilary Gutman. Our production manager is Dina Blaustein. Our senior editor is Ari Levison. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.